Hey, before we get started, wanted to say thanks to a couple sponsors that keep the show on the air. Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. They were created by PTs, especially for PTs in private practice. On average, a private practice who joins the physical network grows more than 40%. So if you're ready to discover how the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adapting to industry changes, visit physicalfranchise.com. That's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. And our friends from MW Therapy, they want to know, hey, have your EMR costs grown out of control? Has your current EMR hit a wall? Or maybe it was invented in 2007 when smartphones weren't even a thing. There's a time for something better at times now. MW Therapy. Take a demo now at mwtherapy.com. That's mwtherapy.com, where switching over your EMR is easy. And our friends at CBDRX for you, your CBD store, get the ABCs of CBD at CBDRX4U.com. That's CBDRX, the number four, the letter U, dot com. Hey guys, a uh, friend of the show, Mike Morrison, who just recently, congratulations, Mike, got his PhD. He is PhD done in work psychology, organizational psychology. Mike had this viral video a couple years back all about how to level up your your, I'm talking to you, if you've ever given a scientific poster presentation. I'm guessing you fell into one of the traps Mike's about to talk about, and he can get you out of the trap, make your poster better, without any additional training or things to buy. This is just using good, best practice in sharing information. That's the point of the poster, right? To share information. Uh, Mike shows you what not to do, how to steer clear of that, and also he shows you what to do. And he does it simply and fun. You can tell in his voice, he freaking loves this stuff. So if you're giving a poster presentation now or in the near future or any, any time, pay attention to what Mike's talking about so you can avoid the common traps and get right to success, which is sharing what you know, sharing what you've learned. Uh, details about where to find Mike's information, resources, reach out to him, all available in the show notes. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Pinecast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are live across Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. My name is Jimmy McKay from the Abilities Research Center. I get to be the Director of Science Communication, which means I get to hang out with really smart people and help you, as well as me, understand what they're actually smart about. Today, our guest is trying to speed up science with user experience design. You can watch his two-minute manifesto video. I'll put the link in the comments below. He's got a PhD in work psychology, and he is the grandfather of, I think that's good, grandfather of hashtag better poster, which at its core, I like to describe to people, um, is a movement to improve scientific posters so we can get all that knowledge from the poster into our brains, but don't stop there. We want people to use the information that they get from scientific posters. So without further ado, Mike Morrison, Dr. Mike Morrison. That's right. Dr. Mike Morrison. I'm PhD done. Thank you, Jimmy, PhD for the intro. Done. And thanks all for right, so I, I, I didn't do all of the level set in terms of your background because before your PhD in work psychology, I think this other previous life of yours adds to what you get to do now. And we have no idea what Dr. Mike Morrison's gonna do. You're gonna change the world and change science. Who knows, yeah. But what did you do before you, you got your PhD in, in work psychology? So I'm kind of a hybrid now. So I was a web developer and UX and user experience designer for about 10 years, short life story. I got really burned out, started a PhD in work psychology, and then I had a, a bad health scare. And if you've had a bad health scare, or you have a disability or something like that, 
you know, you just are kind of like waiting on science to save you, which we all kind of understand now, right? And I needed to like speed up science. And I, the fastest thing I could think of to speed up all of science to cure like everything faster was to bring in what I did before, which is user experience design. So user experience design is like what Silicon Valley uses to, you know, multiply profits times a thousand or something like that. Like there's been just crazy surveys on it and stuff. And like uh, you can use that to speed up any workflow. So that's what you're going to learn today. So you get to you get to draw from previous experience and your education and put these two things together. And that is near and dear to my heart as my former life as a radio DJ and now in healthcare as a physical therapist. You get to be this this cool hybrid thing, this yes and. And yes. the first time I came across your work, I, I alluded to it in the, in the intro, was this hashtag better poster. And this will be the setup and then you can give people the punchline. But I came somebody sent me the video on Twitter and I looked at the time, how long the video was, like everybody else does. Ooh, how long is this? And it was like 19 minutes, right? I'm oh, sorry. I'm still <laughs> living and, that and down. I said to myself, I will watch 90 seconds of this and I will be done with it. It'll probably be cool. I'll watch 90 seconds. And I watched the 19 minute video twice because, and this is like great content that shows me how I can become a better version of me, speaks right to the audience and compels them right for the start. It was well done. It was a cartoon, which we all can relate to. And so if you had to, which I'm sure you've had to, how do you describe what your better poster um, movement is or, or the video that you really use to kind of drive home the point? I can kind of show you if you want me to launch into my presentation now. Let's do uh, that. And without okay, further cool. ado. All right. <laughs> cool. All right. So uh, I'm sorry if the dog barking in the background. We adopted a foster dog recently who is policing all sirens that drive by. Anyway, so we have um, what you're going to learn right now is the basic principles of something called user experience design. User experience design isn't like graphic design. You know, graphic design is more about aesthetics and things like that. I can teach you, it takes a lifetime to learn graphic design. I can teach you user experience design or the basics in the course of this webinar, right? The basic idea is that you sort of acknowledge that people are lazy as a matter of efficiency. Everybody wants the maximum possible reward for the least possible effort. And that's efficient, right? Um, like more calories in than calories out, right? And you kind of, kind of got to love people for that laziness instead of pretending that it doesn't exist. Um, if you've ever done like lazy hacks around your house, you know, like like put a, like a code heart in a weird place because you know you're just gonna want to throw stuff there. That's all UX is. Um, and now we're gonna apply it to speeding up science. So this is a traditional scientific poster. Um, this is also known as like the wall of text or the paper on a poster approach, right? Scientific posters have looked the same across every field of science, as best I can tell for the last 30 years. I've had people email me, me and say like, Mike, I was at poster sessions in the 70s, they were the same, right? Like I, I might go back further, but this should be a red flag to you. I mean, a lot of things have happened in the last 30 years, right? And we have a lot of good research on communication, on design that has come out in that time. Like really, if we were applying that new research every year to posters, posters would change every year if we were applying science to them, right? They would get better and better and better, just like science does. So the fact that the poster design is kind of stagnated for 30 years is kind of a red flag and should be a red flag to you that something else is going on here. As an example, conformity, right? Like you're not trained on design, you don't know what to do, so you just sort of copy everybody else and everybody does that for years. And that's how we get here. Um, so. A couple years ago, I introduced this idea, right? This is called a better poster version one. You have your main finding right in the middle, right? Main finding goes here um, with a big key figure. And then you have sidebars where like the one on the left is far away from the presenter's physical body. 
people call this like the introvert bar because you can like stand and skim the poster without having to like engage the presenter. And then you've got more on the right that the presenter can kind of speak to and point at, right? Um, and then you have a QR code here down at the bottom. So if you take a picture of the, of the poster, you can download a copy of the full paper and get more detail and move on to other posters. That was the first idea, right? Here's a version two better poster that came out a year later in response to feedback and everybody trying the first version. The first version or these combined versions have over 250,000 downloads now. So if you walk in any poster session in science, you're going to see some of these probably. But this is a ver this is a generation two better poster. A couple changes. Um, one, the color. I started using uh, started advising using color to simulate study relevant emotions. This poster is about bad mood. It's red. wasn't super hard, but color can be hard. Um, I, people wanted a bigger space for key figures, so I made sort of a hero figure area. I moved the um, author names to the bottom, like movie credits, um, except the key author. Because, I mean, in a poster session, you're wearing a name tag. Um, and to the attendee, like, the authors are like the last thing that's important to them for like learning. They want to learn all your study, and then they'll look at your name tag. And then the rest of the authors are like bottom of their priority, right? Um, Here's another generation two layout. The idea is, again, main finding top left, and it you know, encourages you to visualize it embedded in negative space. And then it, you just have some really big, big, big key figures with punchlines above each figure. So you can see here, like at the top left here, imagining the text as pictures was better than just reading. And that sort of like really quickly helps you understand what the graph is trying to say. So it saves you the cognitive load of trying to like sit there and stare at it and figure out what it's saying, right? And you can see standing next to this and just sort of pointing at these big figures. So those are the kind of Better Poster family. As Jimmy said, I have videos. The Better Poster part one video is the one that went super viral. I have a part two video uh, that I followed up with a year later that has more of the research studies and the design principles behind Better Poster. So you can create your own. You don't have to use my layouts. You can kind of like know the principles, which is some of what you're going to learn today. And I have a third video on Twitter Poster, which uh, is sort of an idea for communicating research um, through Twitter. Um, all of these videos have kind of gone viral on their own. Um, Twitter poster especially is like the little video that could. People have had whole conferences full of Twitters, Twitter posters. If you look at hashtag Twitter poster, you'll see a lot of these examples. Um, Butter poster part one is probably the funniest and that's why it has the most hits. Butter poster part two is probably a little bit smarter. It has more of the research that you can see. But that's a great place to go for like a deep dive in any of the things you're about to learn. So the traditional, when you start to approach a poster session, you get a lot of different advice. And one of I think a lot of that advice kind of boils down to, and this is what was told to me when I was a grad student, is that you want to design your poster kind of like a mousetrap, right? You want to like trap people. If you do a good job with poster design, then a lot of people will talk to you, right? And so that's kind of your dependent variable. You want to like get a lot of stops or whatever, right? And the problem with this mentality is there's two problems. One is it sort of encourages you to clickbait your poster. You know, you just want to like, that's what clickbait is. You're sort of like trying to get people to click, right? So you just kind of get people to stop. And the second problem is that if, if you're an attendee walking through and every poster is designed this way, you just feel like just anxious. Like you're just avoiding these traps. You're like, which one am I going to commit to, right? You're like, a, you know, you'll see people just walking by like avoiding eye contact, not even looking at a lot of posters before they decide to like engage and like invest in one for 15 minutes when there's a hundred in the whole show, right? So it's really not effective for getting a lot of insight out of this poster session where these there's a hundred new insights for you in that room and you're forced to like trap yourself into one or two, right? Um, and you feel just sort of like trapped going through them. Um, what I encourage you to do, instead of thinking about your poster like a mousetrap and trying to build a better mousetrap, try to think of it like this. So this is called a tower defense game. Some of you have probably played like Plants vs. Zombies on Facebook or something. Same kind of deal. So a charitable interpretation of what's going on here is that you're trying to feed the bugs healthy. You're the little alien eyeballs. And you're trying to feed the bugs healthy food 
So they get full before they get to the cookie, right? Um, or you're trying to kill them, whichever you want to interpret as ends. But if you think about this as a poster session, right? And the bugs walking through are the attendees and you and your poster are the little alien eyeballs and you're like shooting knowledge at the attendees, right? They're walking by, they're barely scanning stuff, they're stopping for a second, right? And you're just trying to get as much of what you've learned, your insight into their brain as they're going through, right? It's kind of a selfless approach to designing your poster. And what this results in is if you're the attendee and you're the bug, right? You're, you're walking through, you just get all this insight shot into your brain as you're walking through, right? And you just get full of insight, which is kind of the experience I think we all want going through a poster session. So try to think about your poster in terms more of like getting knowledge into people's brains as they're kind of walking by trying not to pay attention, right? Um, and paradoxically, if you do that, we're still doing studies on this, um, but there's some evidence so far that more people might stop. Um, this is, that's very weak so far, we're still testing it, but like, it's definitely not less, we know that, and it might be more. Um, so that you're not gonna lose out really. Uh, and you will get more people, some insight who walked by. Um, so I can show you how to win this game and how to get, winning this game to me is you transmit something you learned about your research to almost everybody who walks by, almost everybody in the room, a hundred people. We did a study that found that like, uh, six. the average poster gets like six and a half people stopping try to go for a hundred, like instead of six and a half, try to get insight to like all one or 200 that walk, walk through, right? And it's really easy to win this game. I'll show you, you just do something like this. You only put one thing on your poster and it's a takeaway, right? Mood affects attention at work. And I'll show you how this performs um, by showing you, so I've got some like simulated eye tracking data. So what this program is gonna do, um, this is kind of cool, is it sort of compares to human eye tracking and I tried to develop an algorithm to predict how human, humans would look at a given design, right? And you can run it on any design. This is gonna be the future. So if you use Adobe software, you'll have this plugin soon if you don't already. Um, you'll be able to just run immediate unlimited eye tracking on all your designs. So here's a traditional scientific poster. And I'm going to run some simulated eye tracking on it. And what comes out is this, I already ran it. You get all these like hot spots everywhere, right? Like, like the logo isn't a focal area, right? Like that's not that's not related to the learning at all, right? And like you know the axis labels over here, it's just all over the place, right? But if you look at this like simple poster, this like minimum viable poster, right? Of course, all the attention's right there, right? There's no conflict. And the takeaway here is two things: one, everything you put on a design competes with everything else. So the way to really get something across is to have nothing competing with it. It's the only surefire way to really get something across. The more you add to your poster design or any design, the harder it is to get people to pay attention to any one thing. And I'll show you some more examples here of the eye tracking because it's fun. Let's see. So here's a more complex poster, right? This is still kind of lightweight by like traditional poster standards, um, but we're gonna run some eye tracking on it. And you see here, this is one of my poster designs, everything that's in a hotspot is something valuable, right? Like mood affects attention at work. Negative affect is distracting, which lowers job performance. Big SEM model, right? Another key takeaway right here. And then you can see there's some pretty good scan pass going through my little methods flowchart, and they have a hotspot around read paper, right? Everything is valuable that's in this sort of blob, um, but it's not quite perfect. And you can see here, the software tried to predict what order people would look in. So they look at like, they, they were kind of missing my main takeaway up here, right? So I want to fix that. Got a little broken visual hierarchy here. And the way I'm going to fix that is half by cheating. Just to show you a point, but I'm going to take this header and I'm just going to make it bigger. And then we're going to run the eye tracking on that. What happens is this, right? You get a focal point. 
and it fixed the, the gaze order, right? People look at this first now. And what changed is that I added space around this, right? A lot of people see the better poster designs and things like that, and they think like, oh, that space is empty. Empty space isn't functionless. It's extremely functional. It helps you find signal in the noise, and you can see that in the eye tracking data. It helps people orient very, very quickly when you put negative space around something. Um, this is a better poster version one. You can see I kind of try to get at this in all my designs, you know, to some success or failure, depending on the design. But better poster version one, right? Most of the focus is right in the main finding, right in the middle and the big key figure, right? Um, you can see in a, here's another generation two better poster, right? You get a key takeaway, a, a visual takeaway, right? Um, and then you have good scan paths for the methods and the key figures, right? There's some, there's like an efficiency to this that saves people cognitive load. And when you save people like the, the mental effort of trying to figure out where everything is on your design and you help just sort of guide them, guide their eyeballs through it, they have more resources left over to kind of process your poster and not get fatigued and they'll probably have a lot better experience. So I try to get at that with my designs. And now it is your turn to practice this. So this whole concept of sort of guiding people's eyes is called visual hierarchy. So you may have seen, let's get back to it, this meme going around. Oops, sorry. You will read this first, and you'll read this, then this one, and you'll read this last. This is all the designer did was just sort of use the same principles to manipulate your eye around. This is called visual hierarchy again. And you can actually kind of get good at this um, pretty quickly. So we're going to try it. So I'm going to send out a link, or Jimmy, I'm going to send you a link, and then hopefully you can send it out. We're going to all get to know each other really well, whoever's on this. Let's see. OK. Link in the chat. I'm going to send you a link to Google Doc. It should look like this. Jimmy, you can put that out on uh, YouTube. Cool. All right, got a couple people in there. Oh, thank you guys for coming in. We've done this with up to 120 people, and then Google Doc, Google Doc started to fray, but we're good so far. Okay, cool. All right, when you get in, you're going to see a bunch of slides with numbers all over them. Pick a slide and duplicate it. So you're going to like pick a slide, right click and say duplicate slide and then put your name in the speaker notes, you know, like I'll take like, you know, slide one, I'll duplicate it in the speaker notes. I'll be like, Mike slide, do not touch. Everybody a second to do that. Cool. Okay, cool. All right. So you go look back at my screen now. So what you're going to do is you're going to cover up these numbers and you're going to try to make me or other people look in the order of the numbers. Um, so I'll show you a couple examples. Like here was uh, my friend Mortiz, who's um, in Germany, I think. Um, so he did, you know, your eye goes to his, his picture first, right? That was his number one. Then you said go to high Mortiz, that was his number two. Then follow this arrow, that was his number three. And then well done was his number four. So he directed your eyes right in the right order, right? Here's another one, this is Tanya's. Um, from another uh, webinar. So hello, my name is Tanya. I hope you enjoy reading my slide as much as I enjoyed making it, right? That was her number, you know, her number one was here, number two is here, number three, number four, right? That's what she did. Um, so I'm gonna basically start a timer and then you guys just cover up your numbers and try to make people look in that order, right? There are no rules besides that. I'm gonna give you tips. Um, you can copy and paste from Google Images, you can use shapes, you can change the background color. It's lawless, it's your rules. Okay, so. I'm going to start a timer for five minutes here. Okay, go. All right. 
So sorry, I was muted before. I was talking to you. Um, oh. So okay, so each one of the slides has a different. That's what it is. The slides different have different patterns. patterns. Got it. Got it. Exactly. Okay. So the goal is to get someone to take their random pattern, cover it up, and see if they could actually draw you from one to two to three to four. Exactly. Got it. Okay. Yep. See how well and your, your first tip is that the eye goes to where the most contrast is first. So you can think of that as like dark, like a like a dark blue on a white background is going to have higher contrast than a light blue on a white background, right? Um, one more time. Wait. Um, what will have Big, better? Well, uh, size works too. So like a bigger thing is easier to see than a smaller thing, right? Um, a dark color on a light background has more contrast than like a, you know, think of like, a, if you've ever seen like gray on white is kind of like low contrast, right? Right. Um, so you can use color that way too. And the idea here is that you're thinking of both how to speed up processing and slow it down. So you want to you want people to see your number one sooner. So maybe like very high contrast, right? Or very big. And you want them to see your like number four later. So you want it kind of low, like lower contrast or smaller. And that's just your first tip. Um, generally like, like the eye kind of goes towards what's easiest to process first, which means you can make people process things earlier by making it easier to process and make people process things later if you want that by making them harder to process. So like, um, an image is very, very easy to process. Text or a wall of text is slower to process, right? Um, so a big image versus a small block of text, right? The big image is going to be seen much, much earlier than the small block of text, right? That'd be your next tip. Right, you see some of you pasting images. Good job. Again, size is a big one. Um, your next tip is faces. So faces are kind of like a supercharger for visual hierarchy. Um, even above like a regular image, your eye is going to go to a face really, really quickly. We're just kind of attuned for that. So you can try to use faces. Try to limit yourself to one arrow, by the way. And the way arrows work is through your next tip, which is alignment. So you probably, if you've done a poster or something before, you've like tried to align things, right? what alignment does is create sort of like an invisible line. So if you have like a number one, like way across from a number two, right? And there's stuff in between. If you put stuff on top of your number one and your number two, that have like a common top edge or something, your eye will just naturally go from number one, like it'll follow that invisible line between the top, the shared top edge. And that's how alignment kind of directs your eye. So you've got contrast, what's, you know, what's easy, big and easy to process, um, which is, same as size. You've got like straight ease of processing, which is like pictures before text. Um, another one is um, alignment, which is like things that share a common edge. By the way, you guys got, you have basically two minutes left, so you're still good on time. Your next tip is repetition. So if you repeat a color, right? So if you have like a number one, and you're trying to get somebody to jump from a number one to a number two, it's way across, and you make them the same color, for some reason, there's this weird visual rhyme effect where like, if you're looking at an orange thing, you're gonna be like, oh, I'll find another orange thing. And you just sort of automatically kind of map that in your brain and jump to it. Um, so you can use that repetition to kind of jump people's eyeballs. It's really hard if, on this game, if you have like a number four, like right next to a number one or something, because proximity plays a big role too. So like when you're looking at one thing, what's immediately around that thing is gonna affect you. So if you have a number four right next to your number one, 
And you're going to have to do something to really slow down that number four to get people to jump across it, right? Um, which will make it hard, but proximity is your next tip. Um, you can actually manipulate proximity if you put like a big shape over one of your numbers to like, um, so it starts encroaching on the space of the next number you want them to, to jump to, right? Um, I've seen people do that. Let's see. You've got about 30 seconds left. Ah! You're good. Your next tip is color. So generally like um, color is more stimulating than black and white. Um, and a color image will usually be seen earlier than a black and white image. If you can't um, think of anything else to try, you still got about 20 seconds, use depth. So generally like the way size works is if you think of things descending in size, it's sort of an illusion that they're close to you or far away from you. Um, so if you really have a clear size order, like big, less big, less big, less big, less big, it kind of gives you this illusion that things are closer and further and you kind of follow that line. Okay, pencils down, we're gonna try it. Jimmy, you're gonna be really good at this next part. Okay, so I'm gonna do the first one, back to my screen. I'm just gonna click, I'm gonna pick a slide and I'm gonna yell out what I see first and then whoever that is, is gonna do the next one, okay? Ready? Um, here we go. I don't often make posters, square with arrow, three, four. You don't often make posters, stranger, but you have two parts of your visual hierarchy perfectly. Um, you use size and you pointed me in the direction of number three. That would have worked perfectly. Whose is this? It's not me. Who is okay, it? Okay, cool. I guess they, oh, they're, on, they're on YouTube. They can't unmute themselves, I guess, right? No, yeah, this won't work that way. Gotcha. It's okay, well, podcasting, right. that works. Jimmy, you want to do the next one? Yes. Do I want to do yeah. the next one? Yeah, just yell out what you see first. Just be like, no. thing, other thing, other thing, okay? No. Ready? Yes. Go. Well, that's my poster. <laughs> you do this one. Go. Science is really for. Nice. <laughs> Gabby, perfect job. <laughs> and you told a story, Gabby, which is hard. You know, like you did actually a cohesive narrative here. It was pretty good. That was perfect. Okay, I'll do Jimmy's. Good job, Gabby. Perfect score. Um, okay, I'll do Jimmy's. All right. Caveman guy, this thing. I should have made that bigger. You did. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Just tough, though. one, two, three, four, like, ah. Uh. No, some of these are really brutal. And like, there's some that are way more harder than others, uh, way harder than others. So I think to fix this, um, let's see, where was your, number one was perfect, right? You had a, you had a face, you had a big guy, right? Um, let's see, uh, that was your number two, I think was down here. Let's see if I can fix it. So this actually, this image has like low contrast because it's like white and blue on a white background. This has higher contrast. So you could probably get away with this. You probably could have done this one down here to get your two, right? Like one, two, right. and then your image, and then make your text smaller um, for the four. So like, do and then image, and then four. That might've worked um, just because of the contrast, but you did a perfect and funny. I don't, where were you thinking caveman? How did that come into your brain? This was from, this was from my actual presentation where it, where it says, caveman wants you to make science have an impact, create content, <laughs> rather it's repeat. Excellent, it's perfect. It's a great figure and a very attention getting. Okay, I think that's all of them. I don't think, um, oh wait, go one more. Okay, Jimmy, you wanna do this one? Next one? Yeah, yeah. You ready? Yeah. Go. Yep. Start, arrow, sad. Oh man, Chris. Ray. Oh, so topical. Way to go, way to go, uh, <laughs> pop culture. Stranger. 
<laughs> Perfect score. But think and, about that. Like, think yeah. about that example. Watch, watch. He put the thing, whoever, who did this? Who did this one? Put your name in the in the comments or whatever. That was Jamie. Jamie think nice about job. this. Think about this. This is a great example of like why Mike's thing works. That image right there, I've seen that image like 30 times today and I still went to it last. Like yeah. it was imprinted because of the hierarchy and because of the order. I went to that thing last because I didn't react to it so I saw it. Yeah, you did a really good job. Yeah, absolutely. You, you did a really good job using like size and direction here. Like you use, like there's like, the way you did with this start, I mean, you know what you did, but like just to make it really obvious, like you had an invisible line here, right? Connected right, to this right. arrow. That, that, that where it was pointing is really good. The emoji actually counts as a face. So like when they do these kind of studies on this kind of stuff, like they find that even if something like barely resembles a face, you'll start attending to it, right? Um, and making that small was a great decision because any bigger it would have started drawing attention. So that was great. Wow. Um, yeah, so you guys do a good job all right. And the lesson here is that like you can't, right? So a lot of people think the design is just like subjective or whatever, but like if you do a good job of directing people's eyes, and they've seen this in studies of this kind of stuff where like a good visual hierarchy is one where most people look in the same order um, if you strap eye trackers on them. And you all and hold on a second. And before we move on, that Adobe product, that is running a it's it's running an algorithm to do yeah. like, oh wow, okay. Yeah. I thought this it, was like after you researched it with eye tracking. This is running an Yeah, a this is a this is nine dollars. And if you want to try this, if you have Adobe XD is the program, it's free. Um, and then for $9 a month, um, you can run unlimited eye tracking. So like I do a lot of design for work and I just, it's easy just like run an eye tracker on any, any freaking design I do. Cause it's free. Why, you know, or yeah, they already paid for it. They have more expensive versions and I've seen somebody run like a $30,000 version of this software. Like they're like really, really well validated um like simulated ai tracker on a better poster versus the traditional poster and it was like even clearer like it was like all the attention was in the middle and there's a book i can recommend that has this result in it um where like i laughed the first time i saw it well I, you know i was like well i wasn't crazy like you know like it just boom right to the middle um we haven't done real eye trackers yet though um so good job with the visual hierarchy you have just learned visual hierarchy um Again, if you want to research it more, there's a lot more to visual hierarchy, but you've all, you've all kind of got it. You all did a good job really, you know? And like, if you could, I know one of you said that you don't do posters that much, but like it is anything you design. It's, it's like a report, social a presentation, media social media graphics. It's, it's like a fundamental part of design is just directing the eyeballs efficiently. And for learning outcomes and, and engagement and things like that, what you're doing is you're saving there's two parts to visual hierarchy. There's one where it's automatic, right? Big thing, small thing, right? And then there's like this top down where you're like, okay, I know to look at the top of the poster, right? Because I've seen that I've had success looking at the top before, right? And what you're doing when you do this is you're just doing the automatic part for people because that's faster. And if you just do it for them, they don't have to, you know, spend the effort being like trying to find stuff. You just, it's just would, a lot faster. Would a good example of this, like in advertising, be like, remember the absolute campaign where it was like, it's predictable, but they're all in unpredicted places. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I'm sure the bottle always had the top of the visual hierarchy. Um, yeah, no, and it's, it's in everything and you'll start to see it now. Right. And if you, and if you go to a poster or you go to any, any design you interact with in the world where you like, don't know where to look, like that's a bad visual hierarchy usually, um, which is incidentally most, most scientific products. Um, Okay, so now some cold realities before our next fun demo. Um, thank you guys for sticking with me, even though you don't do much posters, hopefully um, one or two of you do posters. Um, okay, so this is a couple images of a poster session I got from Google Images. Um, so right here, 
where is this attendee looking? He's looking at the presenter, right? He's not even looking at the poster. Like the poster's doing absolutely no work. It's doing, it's communicating zero information. And this isn't a dig on this, this dude. Like this is normal. You normally, you, if you could look, if you look through Google Images of poster sessions, people are like a lot of times looking at the presenter and that's where you're getting all your information. The poster itself isn't actually doing anything. So like, what's the point of the poster, right, at all? And sometimes I wonder like, what percentage gets ignored and when i'm being charitable it's like half your poster content gets ignored when i'm being realistic i think it's more like 90 percent or something but we're still that's that's pending any kind of study um i do have some on that if you want to ask in the q a but um here's another one i call this like the thousand yard poster stare right again they're standing like three or four feet back from this poster mainly looking at him right and they're kind of like blank staring at this poster, there's no way they can read that text from this far away. And this is really common. This is where people normally stand. They can probably get these images right, but the rest of this poster is not doing any work. They're, you know, they're paying attention to him and kind of blank staring at the poster, right? Um, and I think um, Jimmy, your advisor has saying, right, what is it like you want to design your poster for like, you said like three beers, three feet, or three feet away with three beers in or whatever? So is that three it? Feet, three people standing shoulder to shoulder, three meters oh, away from the poster after three beers. You should be able to understand it. There are two of those variables, maybe three in this picture, right? Like we don't know what they were doing before this, but like, um, and so uh, it's a, it's it, the advice holds, right? Like you want to design things where people can see it from this distance and get something while you're talking, which is even harder because they're trying to listen to you too. So here's a good example. So I think she did a really good job of this one where she made her poster like really super big, um, or this graphic really super big where it's you know, and she's pointing to it so people can feasibly like read things from with a graphic this big, even from far away, right? If you don't do posters very much, the takeaway here is that like when you're doing UX design, you always have to sort of fit your environment. Um, you really are paying attention to what people can see and what they what the user's experience is. Um, side example would be like, I think uh, maybe you guys can relate to this. Uh, I remember when I was cleaning my grandparents' house with my dad one time. And uh, he, I kept missing things. Like, and he'd be like, you forgot the whatever. And I'm like, what are you, how are you seeing these things, right? I think I'm done. And then you pick out something else that I've missed, and, right? And finally, because uh, we were cleaning my grandparents' house because my aunt and uncle were coming to visit. So finally, he takes me out in the driveway and he says, pretend you're a car. And so like, literally, like I squatted down in the driveway, pretended to pull up like a car. And I was like, oh, the rake. He's like, right, the rake. And I was like, oh, you know, like, and you would see and then walk into the house like they're going to walk into the house. And then like, I realized there's something left on that arm of the couch or whatever, right? And it didn't matter that I cleaned the upstairs bedroom or whatever, right? It mattered that path that they were going to take come in, right? That's kind of what UX design is doing. And that's all I've sort of done with posters is say like, well, the fact that they're standing three feet away is an important variable, right? It's not meaningless. Um, that's something to take away for kind of everything you do. So next fun demo. Everybody get out their phones. I'm going to stream my real phone and my real Twitter. And what I want you to do is I want you to pull up the app you'd use on your phone if you were already bored of me talking and wanted to take a break. So Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, New York Times if you're fancy. And I am going to stream my real Twitter account, which is always, always risky. So full disclosure, if you're looking at my screen, um, I'm a psychologist. I follow a lot of diverse brains trying to be understanding. But if you see stuff related to UFOs or RuPaul's Drag Race, that's just because I like those things. Um, so let's see. OK, so what I want you to do is just pull up whatever you, you want to like scroll through, just something you do a million times a day and just scroll, right? Or you can follow along with me. So as you're scrolling right here, right, you're using the same part of your brain when you do this kind of stuff the, to forage for information, you're using the same part of your brain that you used to use to forage for food, right? Um, and you'll notice that like, you kind of like scroll past some posts and kind of slow down on some others. Oh, yeah, there's another callback. Um, and there are a couple of factors that determine which posts 
that you kind of slow down on and which you kind of scroll fast, right? And one of those variables is effort, right? Interaction costs. So you're listening to me talk right now and I'm trying to talk and formulate these sentences. So I'm probably gravitating and you're probably gravitating towards like images, things you can process really quickly and still listen to me, right? You're probably skipping over the long text and things like that, right? So that's one variable is how easy it is to process. Um, the other variable is how interesting it is to you. And this can change, right? So like find something funny. Now you're gonna like skip over the serious post and be like, oh, Lay's potato chips, right? Or whatever, like, you know, like bright colors, right? Um, and you know it's then lots of exclamation points it's like that's kind of like a positive tone right um now change your goal like try to find something like serious right now you're going to skip over the dog pictures and like the happy people and you're going to try to find like something denser something serious right um you're going to look for like you know ukrainian flags things like that right now not to bring it down but um so that second variable is what you're interested in the moment that's called information scent and it's kind of like each of these tweets or instagram posts or whatever you're going through is giving off a smell to you as to like whether they match your current goal or not right um, and you're kind of making a decision that you want something that matches your that's sort of more interesting and higher information scent than it is effort so perfect for you right now would be something something serious looking that's a picture right low interaction cost high information scent um or something funny okay so phones down so goodbye to those of you we lost. Some of you are inevitably still on Reddit. Hope, just remember that you're foraging. <laughs> we always lose a couple in that demo. So what you just learned is called information foraging theory. So this is the bedrock of every website you've ever used, every app you've ever used is built based on information foraging theory, whether the designer knew it a lot, knew it or not. So you're about to know more about user experience design, at least the theory and science side of it, than a lot of professional UX designers know, which I think is kind of cool. So we had a couple of basic concepts in there, interaction costs, like how much effort it was to read, right? So something that's very low interaction cost is like fast food, right? You just grab it on the way home. Um, something that's very high interaction cost is like going to grocery store, following a recipe, going through all that, right? Um, and for posters, um, you can think of it as like a very easy to read poster is very low interaction cost, right? And a very dense poster is very high interaction cost. Then the other variable is information sent. So information sent, I'm going to give you three titles for the same article. One title, investigating, investigating the effectiveness of differential mask usage strategies. Next one, it's kind of a clickbaity. Worried your cloth mask isn't filtering coronavirus? This hat could make it more effective. It sounds like clickbait, like Buzzfeed, right? That's what clickbait is. It's medium information sent. And if go, people are going through a poster session and their goal is to learn, then the highest information sent we can do to concord with that goal is to actually teach them something like this, put a nylon stocking over your cloth mask to make it more effective at filtering out coronavirus. That literally is a hit of information. Um, so it's a very strong scent and you can do it with images too. Like a weeks in an image could just be a crowd dialing it up a little bit. We know it's about masks. Very strong scent would be literally a nylon stocking over a cloth mask. Your goal here is to kind of like, you can have very low interaction costs, like a 30 second video that you're gonna click on because it's 30 seconds, who cares? Or you can have very high interaction costs with very strong information sent. Like you probably come across those articles where like in my case, like they're like paywall, the million pop-ups, but I want to read the article so bad, I'll like go into the HTML and like delete the pop-ups from the HTML so I can read the article. Like that's when the article's like speaking to your soul and that information sent overcoming that interaction cost for you. So you kind of want the ideal though, which is like low interaction cost, high information sent, because then you will get engagement. The other variable is patch switching, like, you know, like which which posters or which tweets or whatever you paid attention to and which ones you scrolled past, right? Each thing is a patch 
you scroll past them, you're switching patches. So there are a couple of patterns to this, right? Like in a museum, they've really optimized your patch switching, right? So that you want to like spend like 30 seconds at each exhibit. You can get something out of each exhibit, right? They want to keep you circulating. Um, and that's kind of what we want for poster sessions. We want to keep people circulating. We want to keep scientists circulating through these poster sessions so they get lots and lots of insight and like hopefully see the best poster in the room for them just by serendipity. Let's apply these concepts to a virtual poster session now. So here's a real virtual poster session or a recreation of it anyway. Um, right away, like what are the patches? All these things are the patches. So each poster thumbnail is the patch, right? Um, where is the information sent coming from? What's well, coming from these titles? And the titles are just the author's last name. This is giving you basically no information sent. And you've been in these kind of interfaces where you're like, your first step is choice paralysis because you're just like, I don't even know what to choose. I've got nothing to go on. That's called zero information sent. Then usually you click one and then you have to like wait for it to load this giant PDF file. You have to zoom all over the place, right? Then you back out and have to like do this all over again, right? This is a very high interaction cost, very low information sent interface, which is bad. And usually you see a foraging pattern in the poster sessions, online poster sessions that probably looks like this, that you, you go browse one poster and then you're like, that was rough. And then you like click one more and then you just bail on the whole session and go back to Twitter or whatever, right? Going back to reading about Will Smith in today's case. Um, and so, we want to try to reduce those to fix virtual poster sessions. So we're going to try to apply these principles now to solve a problem. So here are our variables. You have to get the choice paralysis, click and zoom and zoom and zoom. So I'm going to show you a couple of concepts for doing this. Here's a traditional poster, right? And let's stream my phone again. Let's see. So here is what a traditional poster looks like on a phone. And some of you have been through this, it's miserable, right? Like you, it's just not counting the context. It's really, really hard to read. You gotta zoom all over the place, right? Here is a little bit better one. This wouldn't still be great on a phone, right? But it's easier to read without zooming, right? You can get, it's, it's, it's actually one minute of total content for the whole thing, right? So you can process one minute of findings. It's very high rate of return. It gives you a lot for every second of attention you give to it. And then you can click this button to read the paper if you want more, or just go on to other posters. So if you want, if you're forced into a more traditional layout, you could do something like this. Um, but if we really wanted to break the mold, um, we could do something like this. So this is a five slide PowerPoint deck with just square slides. And I'll show you what this looks like on a phone because that's where it really shines. So you have this simple, this is called a scroll story. You just have one point per slide, really clearly visualized, that you can go through, there's your methods, key graph, you break it onto two slides, key takeaway at the end, and you can link to your contact details, this is uh, by a researcher named Rick Krause, your the video version, read the paper, anything you want. This feels almost too easy, right? And you have some left in the tank. That feeling when you get to the end of this and you're like, well, I could read that in a minute, that's too short, right? That's the opposite of that overloaded feeling that we get in a lot of poster sessions. This means you have a lot left in the tank to go see other posters, right? So something like this, I think would work really well um, for virtual poster sessions. And you could, cause you could probably go through 50 of these and not get that tired, right? Um, whereas the other design with the panning and zooming, you're just gonna be like all miserable within like one or two. Um, and those port to social media really well. So that's something to consider if you're given an opportunity to do whatever you want in a virtual poster session. I also have Twitter GIF posters. These are Twitter posters. Um, so these apply the same kind of principles to Twitter, um, which is the idea that like people usually just like share, share like an abstract paragraph or something on their tweet. 
And I realized that you could do like animated GIFs on Twitter and you could do like little animated posters for Twitter. Um, and so we've had a ton of people create these animated research posters um, that have again gone viral in their own way. Um, this is just in PowerPoint. You just create a few slides and then you save it as a GIF and you post it to Twitter and then you get 10 times the eyeballs, maybe a thousand times the eyeballs as you ever got at a conference, you get collaborators. Um, and it's, I think it can be really rewarding for researchers to, to like see people, this is stupid, but like, seeing somebody like your research, right? Like you just get so little feedback in science that seeing just like one or two people um, like that like it or respond like, oh, that's cool. You know, I was working on something like that or whatever, you know, that it's just, it's so meaningful. Um, we just don't get that feedback a lot in traditional science. So again, check out Twitter poster for those. For those. Um, so I wanna give you, before we go into the Q and A here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer like the two most common questions I get with a couple of slides. Um, one of them is like, I can't take something off the poster. I can't reduce it, right? Because then I'll lose important detail, right? Like there's this, um, my friend is an illustrator um, who's done professional posters for scientists. And she told me the story where the scientist came to her with this poster with like 62 graphs on it. And she was like, which one's the most important graph? And he said, all of them, which is 100% true from a scientific perspective, right? But from a design perspective, like you can't process that many, right? There has to be one or two that's a little bit more important and the rest can go in the paper. Even in a paper, that would be a lot, right? Um, and so one example of this is like these terms of service, right? We all know these are a joke, right? Like you just, you click right through them. I've flipped through a thousand of these, right? No idea what it says, right? But imagine going to the lawyer and telling them like, I don't read any of this, you have to take it out. The lawyer would be like, no, 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 like that's, that protects us, right? They couldn't remove a single sentence, right? Um, and in this case, like you're the lawyer when you design the poster, right? Like you just can't remove a single sentence, right? When really nobody's getting anything. Um, so there's a service called terms of service didn't read. It summarizes these things into five bullet points. Here's the iCloud one, right? They can delete any of your data, files, music, messages at any time without notice, um, which I didn't know Apple could just delete all your data, right? Um, they can you know, use your location, they can collect different kinds of personal data. Um, and they order, you know, the service orders these bullet points by like worst first, like the one you pay, need to pay attention to first. In reading this, I don't know about you guys, but like I get more out of this than I ever got out of clicking through that other thing a hundred times, but this will never be implemented by Apple, right? It'll always be third party because they, they, they're so scared to take it out, even though no one reads it because it's a legal thing, right? So this is sort of an example of it, like five things is more than zero things. And that, matters with posters because if you're trying to put a thousand things on it a lot of times what you end up communicating is zero um next question i get um is uh where's the evidence right which totally fair question from scientists usually we think about things on a continuum of like opinion to like well replicated and i think that and there's another category too which is anti-evidence right it's worse than opinion it's like we have evidence on something and you're actively going against it i'd argue that's almost worse than just being ignorant about something, right? Um, most people think that, you know, the traditional scientific poster is like way over here in like replicated land, right? Like they've used it for years, clearly it's perfect, right? Or whatever, right? And then like the things I'm suggesting are just over here in opinion land, right? It's not quite the case. The traditional scientific poster is more here. It's more in anti-evidence. You can go down, um, like you can go down the list of like recommended things for instructional design. Um, like the things that contribute positively to a good learning experience from an instructional design. And you go down that checklist and the traditional design basically ignores every single one of them. You know, like it just breaks those rules. Like it just, and even as a designer, I can't believe I used to build them this way, right? And like, it, it, it took one year of me being like, wait a minute, what am I doing? Like, what are we all doing? And like, I know better. Um, and uh, so it's really like, you are going, even the research on posters that have been like, like big reviews have found that like, people pay attention to call out boxes, big takeaways, big graphs. 
that a poster version one was literally a call out box with a big takeaway and a big graph, right? Um, they find that like the traditional poster just needs to be completely, it's just time for it to be redesigned. And part of the reason that it's, that it's dysfunctional is one, because scientists don't get a lot of the design training, just like you're getting right now, some of it, right? But um, they don't get any of it. Um, and also it's like, um, like you have this problem both with like them not getting any training and then also conforming. Um, but also like there's that fear of like looking stupid or trying something new, um, even though we have really good research. Um, so my the posters I'm suggesting are, they're not just opinion. Like I, if you look, watch the better poster version two video, I can cite every single thing I'm saying, I have references behind and you can go look at them in the better poster part two cartoon. So it's more here. It's like, I have a lot of theory grounding and a lot of empirical work that grounds the design decisions I make. And we're just starting to sort of test these designs in the wild. And the other point to take away here is that like nobody's here. Like, yeah, on this continuum, better poster maybe that's a little bit more research grounded than the traditional approach, which is kind of anti-evidence. Um, but nobody's figured it out. There is no perfect poster yet, right? Like Jimmy said before this call, like, this is the best I got for you right now, but I'll hopefully have better advice in a year or whatever, and we'll learn more and there'll be more research coming out. And someday we'll get to a really, really effective poster session. And the way we're gonna get there is by you feeling like the courage to like really experiment and really try new things um, and then see what we learn from that. Um, we're not going to get to a really well replicated good design by sticking with the old design that we know is broken. Um, so with that, I hope that some of that was fun and useful and I'll leave it up to the Q&A. Oh, by the way, all of these templates that I've shown you are available in the Open Science Framework. They're all free. They're all in the public domain, which means you can steal them and use them and modify them without crediting me. I just want to get them out there because I have a health issue and I just want one of you geniuses to solve it. Um, and I don't really care about the credit. And again, got the videos on YouTube. Thanks a lot. How do you how do you top going off uh, on a unicorn dabbing? I'm not sure you can wrap up a presentation. Animated unicorn dabbing. The, in the better poster chart two video, he animates. Yeah, he does. Like Perfect. All right. So anybody out there watching right now is a bunch of you on YouTube or anybody from the ARC in the ARC chat. If you want to ask a question, type it there. I can ask it for you anonymously, not anonymously. Or if you want to click that link I've shared, uh, you can jump into the stream to ask it. Um, I have some lots and, you know, for full disclosure, Mike and I have talked a bunch of times, um, about stuff like this, and I still find multiple things that are fascinating. So I'll bring Jamie and David on here as well. Gentlemen, I brought you in because you had your cameras on and I just said, I need more people than me on the screen. Um, you've seen people hear this presentation, right? You're saying, Hey, listen, I'm giving you this. You, you know, that out of a hundred X number are going to say that was nice, but I'm not going to do it anyway. And they're going to sure. white knuckle and just continue on doing the old poster design. And I'm sure you've seen people say that have that aha moment and say, oh, I will go and take this effort, go out on the on my uh, and so, a socially new way of doing something and step out, which takes courage. Right. What is what is something that you've seen people have to hear to be from more of the, the latter and less of the former, more of the, what gets them to the end, uh, end of a diving board and makes them jump? That's a great question. I think uh, the question I get a lot from students is like, I'm sold, but my advisor will never let me, right? You know, or whatever, right? And like, yeah, and like, uh, like how do we get this in or whatever? Or like, I've got somebody in my department that won't let me or whatever, right? Like scientists, even mature scientists are like, a fr like really afraid of their colleagues. Like never, that fear never goes away. The thing that gets them over it, I think, this is dumb, but honestly, this layout, this is like the crowd pleaser layout. Um, so 
I think it's, it's, it has enough figures on it to where it'll get you past most people who are more comfortable with the traditional design because it's denser. And I did this layout kind of intentionally adding more complexity back than I think people can realistically process, but knowing that like that feeling of density would be helpful in getting past some of those people and like they would like it. And some people do like to dive into the data. So I've seen this layout, like people who like actively hated me for this one, right? Just like despite, hate my guts, right? would see this layout and be like, I'm good now. Okay, cool, I could try that one, right? Or see this this one with the big figure. Right. Really, once I started emphasizing figures more, that not only did it get this, this middle layout like almost universally liked or whatever, it's turned around people who hated the first one, right? So I think definitely start, maybe start with this one if you're not sure. Um, I think also it can help to know that judges are overloaded too. Like people get afraid of like, you know, what are the poster judges gonna think and what are the conference gonna think? Is my conference gonna allow this? I talked to conferences, it used to be every week now it's every two weeks or whatever with COVID. um but they all all the conference administrators want to see like creativity and novelty in poster sessions and our attendees want that too when you walk into a poster session you want to see something new you know you want to see something that's going to like engage you right um and like judges poster session judges are like the most overloaded attendees in the whole room because they feel the sense of guilt that they've got to go through and like see all the posters to judge them right, right. so they appreciate you reducing their load um even more and the last point i'll say here is that like um the first better poster ever when nobody knew what it was when i hadn't tried a better poster myself yet one best poster in the whole show wow. and there's something to that and we've had lots of poster awards so um i think generally creativity is more appreciated than it is like derided all right, so my next question, and I'll open up to, to some other people as well, David and Jamie, if you haven't, just let me know. Um, I heard, and I forget who said who said this, I'm sure I could Google it and, and credit them, but um, the, 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 the piece of communication that successfully transmits one idea is infinitely better than the one that fails to communicate 10 ideas. And what I get out of that is, myself included, we want to just include everything. So we do that copy paste to everything on a poster. You're like, I got it. I could, there's 10 nuggets in there, but you know that by including 10, you're actually limiting it to zero. And I think the example of that is on the bottom right-hand corner of your screen right now. I shared this and asked a question on Twitter. Is this a good poster design? It's the average global temperature from uh, 1850 to 2017. And people are saying, but I don't know anything after I watch that. Um, and I would counter that you know it increased and gosh, look how much because we use color and we use contrast, we use size. And then I would say bottom right-hand corner is if, if this enticed you, there's a QR code, you can and should learn more. So I had some blowback just by sharing that. Of I'm course. sure you mentioned you had blowback just by sharing that top left-hand version, the original Better Poster Design. Are you seeing people become at least more open to it? Sure. I mean, like, to be clear, when I say blowback, it's like the first version was like 70% of people loved it, 25% people were on the fence or had constructive like criticisms or whatever, 10, you know, 10% hated it. And then like, fought, or, like 9% hated it, 1% hated me personally. But like, overwhelmingly, it was supportive, right? Like, I, that was one right. of the surprises. Even version one, when I didn't even have the graph yet, was overwhelmingly supportive. Lots of poster awards, lots of people getting more visitors. Um, these new designs, are not controversial at all. Like they, when I post them, the controversy ends and then people are usually good with that. The paradox though, and what you're talking about, Jimmy, is that like usually when you go with the super minimalist posters like this one, this is Ed Hawkins warming stripes. Um, they, one of the things the traditional poster design does really well 
is it communicates a sense of effort, right? It is communicating an emotion and that emotion is density and effort and rigor, right? And the and knowing that you could find potentially any information you wanted on it, right? Doesn't matter if you were gonna ignore the whole thing and just ask the presenter anyway, you know it's there if you wanted it, right? Kind of like this does. Um, whereas these new designs, there's, there's a relationship with um, processing fluency, which is how easy something is to process. And processing fluency and learning, is, I think, is pretty linear. Like the easier, like you know, the easier you make something to process, the better it is for learning, right? But processing fluency and liking is curvilinear. So the people like they like things that are like medium to process, right? Too easy, too hard, then they don't like it, right? And I think scientists have a little bit, they're like moved up on that, right? The what happens is if you do the super minimalist one like these there'll be the best performing poster in the room. The posters I've done with almost nothing on them, almost everyone walking by read more points on them than I've had on any other poster, right? Like they're completely functional. I'm like, oh my God, this is a success. But that first reaction is like too simple, right? And like, and they get this emotional reaction. Whereas like this one, like the funniest thing to me about that Rebel Warring poster, like if you look, there's a picture of Ed Hawkins who designed this amazing data visualization. And he's standing in front of like his, his hallway and his like, uh, like his department or whatever. And you can see on the wall, there's posters. And there's like the traditional posters and there's his. And it's less than this. I think it's just the stripes on glass or something. Like if you have a beautiful data visualization, show it off. You're standing there to answer any questions. This may be too severe. You could have a sidebar with more, right? If you're not going to be standing there, right? Like in a museum where you have a little sidebar to skim, you can totally do that. You can have a methods flowchart. I try to just try to push the envelope to be like the most important part is showing off this perfect data visualization you had and making sure everybody sees that um, and then going from there instead of just like crushing that in like walls of nuance that like is going to get a lot of stuff ignored. Right. I don't know. That was kind of. Jamie, David, any questions from you gentlemen? You guys have presented posters before. Jamie, you want to go first? Yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've seen a couple of people use flow code, you know, where you, you hold up your phone to a QR code and it'll play a video of like ex rehab exercises or, or part of the, you know, a, a, a short film about the methodology or something like that. Have you had much experience with that? And I've tried it. The other thing I've tried to relate it is that you could do uh ar right you could have there's i've seen some ar apps where you they have ar qr where you point your phone at the qr code and you have like a you know a floating like long or whatever you worked on and you can kind of like look around it with your phone i haven't used one of those myself um i guess people ask me a lot of times like what do you link the qr to and i usually say like to like you can do a link tree with like you know the paper and your contact details or whatever but you could try that video would be fun if i scan somebody's qr code and i saw like a 3d figure or a video i'd be like sweet that was rewarding um and then i'd probably scan more qr codes because i'd got associate them with reward yeah. I, think I think really like it is because like you're, it's not just your poster right like if you make your poster rewarding or punishing it affects their attitude and how they feel about the rest of the posters yeah. in the room right like one I'm, I'm convinced and i cannot prove this at all but i swear to god like one if you do that with a video like one hyper rewarding poster would get you more poster views for the whole session and one really punishing horrible like over like whelming poster People are just gonna be like, I'm going to lunch and skip the rest of the session. You could poison the whole well. I bet you could, but I can't prove that yet. I can't say that like when we went to, we went to uh, this is off the reward thing, so I ripped too far, Jamie. But um, I think uh, I have been to an all better poster session 
And the first thing people I realized people were saying when every poster in the room was better poster was like, I feel like I can see a lot more of these. And so when you do things like that to make every poster rewarding, you get more circulation. You should try it though. Let me know how it goes, Jamie. <laughs> is it Jamie or? That's Jamie. This is David. Cool. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I don't know if this is a, a terrible or, yeah. or disruptive uh, question to ask, but um, <laughs> go um, for it. Yes. <laughs> but since, since we're here, I've always hated posters. I, I just think that it's the most paternalistic crap in the world. You've got, <laughs> you've got a talented scientist, and they're standing nervously by this piece of paper saying, "Validate me." Um, as you've as you've mentioned, that they're they're typically poorly designed pieces of work to communicate knowledge. Um, in your Mike, you seem to be an expert at this. How would you, you know, like, how do we just get rid of posters? Like, what, <laughs> what, what should it look like at conferences? Oh, dude, I love this question. This is disrupting. I never had it before. Like, let's just let's just skip it. Let's just kill him. Um, first of all, you're not alone at all. Like that. I mean, I didn't think anybody'd see the first better poster video. I thought it'd just be like I thought it was me bugging people in my field to look at it, and then it exploded across science in like 24 hours. And my first reaction was like, "You guys really hated posters." Like, you know, like wow. And then like, uh, and like, uh, I'd ask you like, what would be the complete opposite of that experience? Like everything you hate about them, right? Like, I think that, and that's what. I think I get misinterpreted sometimes. It's like, I'm not trying to create like a slightly better version of what exists right now because what exists right now is terrible, right? What I want is a completely different world than we have right now. And like, imagine like, David, if you could, if you could walk into a poster session and instead of it being this like misery with people just saying their way on people to look at them and stuff, right? If it could feel like getting like a software update for your whole field, right? Like there's no other place in science where you get random exposure like that. Like if you go to a symposium, you chose that topic. If you choose a paper, you chose that topic. In a poster session, you have no idea. You can get anything. And that's so valuable to get this width, right? If you could walk into that room and get a hundred findings into your brain in, a, in like an hour walkthrough, right? And some of them stick or whatever, you'd walk through that room over and over again, I bet, right? Without the rest of the drama. And so, yeah, I think like, I want to create that world where you get like the software update and like the networking stuff. I don't know how you feel about this, David, but like people like really harp on like the networking advantages of the poster sessions, which I get, but it's also like one of those things where like, you don't have a choice right now. Like people pick which poster to engage in sometimes like based on like, this is literally a finding the attractiveness of the presenter or how pathetic the presenter looks like. Right. Like in like a, because the poster gives them nothing. So you're getting information sent from the person. It's called social information foraging. And so like we get, we, we might lose some of that networking if we keep people circulating, maybe, but like there is a different world. I don't know, what would be like, what is the opposite? What, would, what is a poster session that you would actually love, David, personally? <laughs> Happy is hour? Is it possible? Yeah, yeah we drinks <laughs> at the beginning or whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, drinks drinks at the beginning make everything better. Um, sure. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't know, It's it's, it's such a flawed way to consume information. I mean, conferences in general, uh, I, I take issue with um, just because they tend to be echo chambers. They tend to be, um, you know, these are the people we're listening to. This is the direction we're going and and no one else gets a, a seat at the table. Um, so I've been thinking for a while, we need to completely disrupt uh, these sorts of things. I, I was recently at a conference where, you know, the interaction was very different to any other conference. It's like you have performance, you know, performance art, and then you have 
you know, uh, data visualization. And then, you, you know, so it was always, your brain was always in a state of, I don't know what's coming next. And so you take cool. everything in because it's novel. Um, right. But our academic conferences are so far from that at the I moment. Mean, would it a be, great example. you know, all right, what were those two terms against knowledge sent and what acquisition cost or what, what were the two, what were the two oh, interaction costs and information sent? I mean, mock it all you want, but like TikTok and reels, that's it. Like, it's like, this is super easy. And if I don't like it, the, the user experience is like, if I don't like it out, out, but myself included, I mocked it. And then next thing you know, you're spending, you're like, I've been here for an hour, like, Absorbing what, like, and like um, this, and this is where you say it could be for your powers can be used for evil or for good. Yeah. But could could we embrace that way? Because our brains, whether I want to watch cat videos and just veg out and watch soccer highlights, or or learn more about a scientific topic, our brains work the same way to absorb information. Exactly. That's it's the same across the board. Also, Gabby has a question. Hey, Gabby. <laughs> Oh, you're on mute. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for all that. That's this is awesome. Um, but I was just wondering, uh, while we are still kind of stuck in this paradigm, um, do you have any advice for where to kind of prioritize your efforts in, in terms of either like really paring down what you want to present on the poster versus like spending a lot of time like summarizing it the best possible way, like trying to bring everything in, but like really well, but or just like cut 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 so i have the brave advice like which is like like if, if you were just willing to try anything like the one what would work probably the best i i have this thing where like if you were to show up with like with we had first year poster presenters show up with like literally a whiteboard you know and like write a finding on it and when somebody's like and then like their paper and then somebody's like well yeah but like what did the data look like and then they draw the graph on there you know and then we just add one thing at a time until at some point people won't start asking like what you'll find when you do this kind of stuff, when you start with one, you'll reach a point where like people stop asking deep questions and they start going more shallow because they're getting less. You'll find that like part of learning how to do this well is learning where that lot, that threshold is that's too much, right? And like it's so low that starting simple, like if you started out with that poster I showed that's like just one thing on it, every single person in the room would read it. You would get immediate feedback about like what's missing. They'd be like, well, where's a graph? And that's 100% what they would say, BT Dubs. I can say that from personal experience. Um, and then like, you know, to add a graph next time. And then when you show up with a graph and a finding, they'll ask something else. And that's what you add the next time. That is absolutely the most efficient way for you to get incredible at these design things, but it's terrifying and you will get people harassing you for it. You know? But you'll also maybe win an award at some point. And five, like if you think of it, your skills in terms of like not your posters this year, but your posters, five posters from now, right? And like, those are going to be insane. And you can do, the final thing I'll say is you can do anything, like practice breaking the rules. And like, I've seen people, I saw one uh, researcher, she created a poster, she was a poster on uh, motor disability, which you're PT, you know this stuff or whatever, right? You do this all the time, which I have, by the way, I'll ask you in my carpal tunnel after this, but like, um, but like uh, she made the entire poster out of cardboard by hand to show that like somebody with a motor disability couldn't do that, couldn't hold the scissors or whatever, right? So it wasn't just a gimmick. It was really like, it made you think about like her study and what and the purpose of what she was doing. And like, there are no rules. Like you can just try, just let your like inner child out. Yeah, I guess that's what I would do. Especially now during COVID when like nobody's looking at anything, that's the best time to just take crazy risks or whatever and have fun. You'll learn so much more. I don't know. Yeah. Is that yeah. an answer, I guess? Mentioning that you mentioned the whiteboard. I like that idea, but even take it another step further, like 
technology, we should be using it so much more and it's, it is more accessible and like getting cheaper. So like, why not everyone just have like a tablet? Like that's what's present like, yeah. yeah, displayed for each person. And, and you can like the first page, it, maybe it's like an interactive slideshow basically for each poster. And like the first one is maybe your poster, what the poster would look like, but then you can like scroll through if people are asking like, where's that graph? And then, and then you show them. I mean, I think that's where it'll go. You pointed it out in your presentation, Mike, and I've said it before too. You have a really smart person who got out of bed, went through TSA, got on an airplane, flew away the conference, and is standing right there, right? Like that human being. Is waste There's so much wasted brain power in science. It's unbelievable. Right. And like, yeah. You know, I think that I, I saw Gabby Rosworth. I did talk to a poster printer one time, like somebody who like prints the, the posters or whatever. And I was like, in 100 years, what do they look like? Right. Um, and he said, like they, you'll have a role. It'll be a screen, and you'll take that. And it'll, and like I think the thing with screens right now is that their resolution's too low, and so like you read them slower. Until we get to, I want I want to say it's like, I forgot what it's like. We're at like 8K now. I think you have to be at like 32K or something where it matches the what mm -hmm. we're capable of perceiving. And once we get there, that probably the reading will speed up. But then we can do all kinds of stuff. And like and 100% on board with what you said. Gabby across the board, but like we're not using technology enough. Like as a as a web developer, right? And like science to me is like not even on the internet yet. Like it hasn't even caught up with like mid two thousands tech tech culture. You know, like printing posters isn't cheap either. Like you can nope. buy a no. tablet for the price of. <laughs> you really can, yeah. Like hundred bucks, you get cheap Android tablet tablet. And then look totally. at it too. I mean, you know, you go to restaurants now, and the menus are all on screens, right? Because you want to be able to change it. You want it to be interactive. You want it to flip. And people through. adapted to that. Like yes. All right, even if you're watching a replay of this on any of the platforms that we're sharing it on, you can drop a comment below and we can make sure to share with Mike or what we'll also do is share your contact information, Mike, if that's okay with you. Maybe we'll share your sure. link tree or something like that. So yeah. that I'm on Twitter at uh, Mike Morrison and that's a good place to get me and then yeah, share whatever contact you really want. And check out my new venture, Researchable. And I would like to know anybody who's presented a, a poster, what do you do with it afterwards? Do you give it away as a prize? Do you take it home as a prison? <laughs> Sophia watching in the uh, the comments below has forgotten her poster at a layover once. I'm guessing that means oh. on the way to the conference. Did you she print your whiteboard? You, at a whiteboard in the Yeah, like, yeah, he you does. Know, that's rough. Sorry, Sophia. Uh, Mike, I appreciate your time. I always learn something, even though I've, you know, I've heard you give these presentations a bunch of time. This is what we know now. And later on, we'll know a little bit more. And let's get that knowledge from in your head and all your work out of it so we can do with the poster session and conferences and really just the scientific community is designed for which is like learning stuff and then teaching other stuff uh, to people so they can learn stuff and do stuff with it so we can change the world absolutely excellent thanks for coming guys uh, thank, thank you guys so much we appreciate it like what you hear tell a friend or leave a review on itunes or google play the show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. Pinecast.
buildpt.com. Created by BuildPT. BuildPT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what BuildPT can do for you today at buildpt.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.